You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. A few years ago, I reread The Lord of the Rings. And, uh, you know, I'm just a sucker for epic stories. So it's like, you give me a big story and I am just going to be in on it. I love uh, those types of stories. I love the amazing characters that you meet. So you've got Frodo and Sam and Gandalf and the whole crew in there. And uh, every time I get to the final chapters in a story like that when I'm reading it, um, I'm already beginning to miss those people, those friends that I've made there. I'm like, by the time I finish the book, I'm actually kind of sad that, that it's over, that the story's over, that these uh, friendships that I've made with these people in the story are over. And that's a little bit the way I feel today. Uh, we're bringing this set of sermons to a close, and over the last several months, we've just been inside this amazing story, uh, this story that God is writing from Genesis to Revelation, and we're in this little chapter with uh, Abraham, and we've met all the cast of characters in there, right? We've met Abraham and Sarah and Lot and, and all of these people, and I'm already kind of missing them. I'm already kind of sad that this is going to be our last moment in this part of the scriptures together. So here is the plan for today. Uh, I want to zoom out of Abraham's life and just sort of take a panoramic picture of his life. And I, I want to revisit the main driving theme of Abraham's life. You know, different characters in the Bible are known for different things. So if we took David, uh, what is David known for? Well, he is called a man after God's own heart. Uh, wrote all the Psalms in the Bible, right? So uh, we've got David and you've got Solomon. What's Solomon known for? Uh, wisdom, right? He's known for his wisdom. You've got Paul. He's known for his missionary zeal and boldness. But what about Abraham? What is Abraham known for? Faith, right? That is the big theme of his life. God uh, developing and growing faith in Abraham. So what, what is faith? This is the way we've said it over the last few months. Faith is trusting what God says over what you see. What God says over what you see. That, that's faith. You're trusting the promises of God. What he has said over what you see. I love how Charles Spurgeon once said it. He said the essence of faith is casting oneself. And it's all of oneself, right? It's, it's you casting the whole of you on the promises of God. That's, that is what faith is. It's trusting what God says over what you see. And, and this is what Abraham is known for. A person who has developed into a man of faith. But here is what we learn in the life of Abraham as we've just studied through his life over the last few months. That, that Abraham was not a man who started with his faith fully formed. That's not the way it worked in Abraham's life. It was a slow, long slog for Abraham to grow into this, for him to learn what it looked like to walk by faith and not by sight. When we first meet Abraham, uh, here is the way we might describe his faith. It was a weak faith. That, that's the, the Abraham that we meet. You know, the original call in Abraham's life was not in Genesis 12, right? That's the second time in Genesis 12 that the scripture you just heard read was the second time that the Lord called to Abraham. But uh, according to Acts and Joshua 24, the first time that God called Abraham, he was not in Haran, he was in Ur. That's where the call originally came to. And in that moment, uh, he's in Ur, Abraham, and Abraham responds in faith to God. He leaves Ur and he makes it all the way uh, to Haran. Haran is about halfway to the land of Canaan. About halfway there. And that's a good way to think about where Abraham started in his faith. It was a weak faith. We might call it this a halfway faith. 
That's Abraham when we meet him. Uh, He's still hedging his bets. He's still holding out on God. He's still, uh, he's casting himself on God, but he's not casting all of himself on God. He's casting like half of himself on God, right? It's a weak faith. But over time, that weak faith turned into a growing faith. Now, when you look at Abraham's life, there are a million failures in there. Right? He had some really low lows. But that little seed of faith in him was growing. It was maturing. It was going from that weak faith to something more sturdy. In Genesis 12, when we meet him there in Genesis 12, Abraham, he finally leaves his country, his, his kindred, his father's house, all of these things that he was tied to. He finally left all of those things and he made it to the place God wanted him to go. He journeyed to the place that God had for him, the land of Canaan. And it's so hard to overstate how hard that would be to do. Uh, it's not like Abraham had Zillow to go check the housing market over there in Canaan right? It's not that he had Google where he's typing in, how are the schools there? What's the job market like? I wonder if I could send my resume over here to kind of line a few things up. None of that was happening. He just leaves everything he's known for a place he didn't know because God told him to do that. That that little seed of faith is growing in him and it eventually grows into what we might call a great faith. The climatic moment of faith in Abraham's life is in Genesis 22. You heard Justin preach it last week. He did such a a good job with that. But this is the moment when God asks from Abraham the the most precious thing in his life. He asked for that long-awaited son, his beloved son, his only son, Isaac. And in this amazing moment of faith, Abraham looks at God and says, If Isaac is what you want, you can have him, God. I will trust you, God, even with this, even with my beloved son. That little seed of faith is now a mature oak of faith, isn't it? This is the journey that the Lord has had Abraham on. And friend, if you are in Christ, if Jesus has rescued you, if he has saved you, this is the journey you are on. The same journey Abraham's on, growing from a weak faith to a great faith, is the exact same journey you are on. This is Jesus' agenda in your life. It's to take that weak faith and turn it into a growing faith, and take that growing faith and turn it into a great faith. That is what God is up to in your life. If you are in Christ, this is what's happening to you. This is what God is doing in you. This is his agenda for your life. Now, just to acknowledge that is so good. We all just need to be able to stack our hands and say, yep, that's what the Lord's doing in me. This is, this is sort of his agenda. This is what he's after in my life. And here's why that's so important. We all know that expectations are everything, right? When we have misaligned expectations, everyone's going to get disappointed really, really quickly. Expectations really are everything in that way. Uh, to illustrate that, just think about uh, the moment of a couple getting married. If, uh, if one of those spouses went into it thinking this, you know what marriage is going to be like? My spouse is going to do everything I want, when I want, every time I want. It's going to take about 13 seconds for all of that to fall apart, isn't it? It's just not reality. You've got misaligned expectations. When you have those misaligned expectations, it is all going to go bad. But if you came into marriage this way, marriage is a beautiful gift from the Lord and it is a means of grace that God will use to grow my faith, to shape me into the image of Jesus, to prune those bad branches off me. 
he's going to use marriage. It's a beautiful gift, but it's going to be a painful one too. Because he's going to use it to do all of that stuff in me. If you come into marriage like that, now 13 seconds in when it all hits the fan, it's like now I'm not disappointed. No, no, now I've come in knowing, oh, this is, this is why God has given me marriage. So things can hit the fan, and now I can step into this moment trusting God's going to use this moment to shape me into the image of Jesus, to grow me in faith, to prune those bad branches off. This is what I'm in marriage for. This isn't a chance to run from marriage and disappointment. No, I'm stepping into this moment with gladness because this is why I got into this thing. See, expectations really are everything in that way. And that's especially true in your marriage to Jesus. See, if you came into Christ, if you stepped across the line of faith, trusting in Jesus, believing, you know what Jesus' agenda is in my life? It's all pleasure and no pain. It's all comfort and no conflict. It's all prosperity, no poverty. That's what I'm in on. That, that's my expectation. Well, 13 seconds into that marriage with Jesus, everything's fallen apart, hadn't it? But, but if you came in knowing, no, God's agenda is this. To grow me from a weak faith into a man, a woman of great faith. That's what he's after. This is what he's up to in my life. This is what he's doing in my life. Then from that expectation alignment, now much good and gladness and joy get to come into your life. Let me just give you a real life example of how I've had to struggle through this just here lately. Um, I recently fell into Cruddy Valley with a friend of mine. Uh, Cruddy Valley is that moment of relational conflict. It's not fun. Everybody hates Cruddy Valley, right? Nobody wants to be there. Uh, but we, we found ourselves there. We were in Cruddy Valley. And the circumstances aren't important. But the feelings when you're in Cruddy Valley are important. You, you know what begins to happen in you when you're in relational conflict. When, when, when you're into those sort of spaces with people. Uh, we almost always feel wronged. Right? Uh, we almost always uh, feel justified in our grievances. We almost always feel mistreated and maligned and misunderstood. And I could just go on with all the feelings we feel when we're in Cruddy Valley with a person. Uh, and then from those feelings uh, become hard thoughts. We begin to think really harshly about that person. Those hard thoughts then turn into bitterness. And that bitterness turns into a cold war. You get in your trench, I'll get in my trench. And then that cold war ends up in a broken relationship. This is how many of our relationships go once we find ourselves in cruddy valley with people. And I just want to give you a sense of how the Lord rescued me from that over the last little bit. Here's how he rescued me from it. Uh, first, I just got to grieve the fact that that's where I am with the person. That I find myself in Cruddy Valley. And, uh, and I think some of the things that I'm feeling are justified in it. So it's like I'm just, I've just got those before the Lord, just lamenting those things and grieving those things with Jesus. And then I got to affirm to the Lord, uh, God, your agenda in my life is not to have a no conflict zone life for me. That's not the agenda. Uh, your, your agenda in my life is not to uh, protect me from every hard thing. It's not to make sure I never feel mistreated or am mistreated. It's not to make sure I'm never maligned. It's not to make, that's not your agenda in my life, God. What your agenda in my life is, is to grow me into a person of faith. That's the agenda. So in light of that, God, what is this an opportunity for? That became the question. I'm in Credit Valley. What is this an opportunity for? God, what might you want to do in me in a moment like this? What is this an opportunity for? And I'm just sitting with the Lord with my journal. Just, God, would you show me what, what are some of the things you might want to do? And here, here's some of the things I wrote down in my journal. Uh, this is a moment, God, an opportunity to grow in the ability to overlook an offense. We all need to get better at that, don't we? 
just to overlook an offense. Uh, this is an opportunity to trust you uh, enough to hold short accounts. We all need to be better at holding short accounts. So it's like, God, this is an opportunity for you to teach me that. Uh, God, this is an opportunity to grow in the ability to grieve relational pain with you, Jesus. And at the same time, uh, not have to air those grievances with others. I want to grow into a man like that, a man of faith like that. Uh, this is an opportunity to practice seeing beyond my hurts to the hurts of another person. I want to become a person like that. Uh, God, this is an opportunity for me to develop thicker skin while keeping a soft heart. I want more of that in my life, God. And so it's just a chance for me to say, Jesus, if that's the agenda and this is the opportunity, all right. I'm in. I'm not running from this moment, but I can receive this moment with joy and gladness if this is what you're up to. This is what having aligned expectations do for us. We get to say to God, Jesus, I am 100% committed to the thing that you're committed to. God, I want what you want. I want to become a person who is just made up of great faith. So, so God, you can do whatever it takes to get me there. Whatever it takes. When's the last time you've said that to the Lord? God, you can do whatever it takes to make me a person of great faith. Really, that's what the life of Abraham is, is offering you a chance to do. God, whatever it takes, would, would you do that in me? God, would you make me into that type of person? When's the last time you've, you've said that to the Lord? If it's been a while, why don't you just say that now to him? Just your heart to his God, you can do whatever it takes to make me that. I, I'm a yes to your agenda in my life. Now, here's the way I want to finish our time in Abraham's story. I, I want to just make four observations about faith, a, a life of faith, uh, what it does uh, to us, what it looks like in us. I just want to make four observations about a life of faith with you. So here's the first. When you're looking at the life of Abraham, here is one of the things that we see. Uh, we see that faith trusts God's promises. This is what faith does. Now, think about the Bible as a whole. The Bible is a story of promise. The promise starts in Genesis 3.15, right? We have made a mess of everything, our first parents. And God comes with a promise. He promises that a serpent crusher is coming. That serpent crusher is on the way. He's going to be someone in Eve's crooked family tree. And that serpent crusher is coming. And here's what that serpent crusher is going to do. He's going to reverse the curse. He's going to undo everything that sin has done in this world. He's going to undo all of those things. That serpent crusher is on the way. And the whole Old Testament is carried along by that promise. Who is the, the promised serpent crusher? Is it this one? Is it that one? The whole Old Testament is looking for, for this promise. And that promise takes us all the way to one of Abraham's great, 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 great grandsons. His name's Jesus. And in Jesus, we find the serpent crusher. We find the one who secures for us every promise that God makes to us. That's Jesus. And here is what faith does. It then trusts in those promises. This is what we're learning in the life of Abraham. God comes to Abraham, makes promises, and then faith looks at those promises and throws itself on those promises. It trusts those promises, what God says over what you can see. Right? This is what faith is. This is what it looks like. This is the essence of faith. Now, how does God grow the ability to do that? 
Well, God grows our faith, and it's a slow growth. Just look at Abraham's life. It's a slow growth. He's got a lot of ups and downs in there, a lot of downs to go with those ups. It's a slow growth, and he does that growth, accomplishes that growth through testing. This is how God grows our faith, through testing. Now, what is a test? A test is any moment when there is a gap between what God says on this side and what we can see on this side. When God inserts a gap between these two things, that's a moment of testing. And those moments of testing are the very things God uses to grow our faith. This is what's needed. We all need the gap in our life if we're going to grow in faith. Here's what God says. Here's what I can see. And they're just not overlapping God. Yeah, that God has inserted that into our life to grow our faith. A test occurs when you have to leap toward the Lord, a leap that you know could kill you. It's a scary leap, but you have to leap toward the Lord before you know how he's going to catch you. That's a moment of testing, right? I told you this story a few months ago about reading this little article about impalas. Impalas are amazing animals. They're like some of the best jumpers out there. It's 30, 35 feet at a time. And you would think it would be impossible to keep them in any sort of a fenced enclosure. Uh, But zookeepers have found that impalas won't jump unless they can see the landing. They can't see the landing. They're not jumping. So all a zookeeper has to do to keep that impala in the enclosure is to hide the landing. To just not let them see where they're going to land. That's all they have to do. Now, we are a lot like that with the Lord. We are very Impala-like in this way, right? We want to wait until we can see, then we'll jump toward what God says. We want to wait for the gap to be removed, for what we can see and what God says to do this. But God's like, no, that will not grow your faith. If if I'm going to grow your faith, you need the gap. You've got to jump before you know how it's all going to work out. Before you know what I'm going to do on the other side, you've got to leave Abraham before you know where all it is I'm going to take you, right? We all need the gap in our life. And Abraham's story shows us that God loves to insert those gaps. He loves to do that. God will never fail us, but God will test us, right? It's probably happening in your life right now because this is God's agenda to grow your faith. Right? He's not going to fail us, but he will test us. And every one of those tests are an opportunity for us to cast ourselves on the promises of God. So can you answer this question right now? Where is God testing you today? Where is there a gap between what God says and what you can see? Because wherever that is, that is, that, that is where faith counts right now in your life. That, that is the precise area that God is using It's the opportunity in your life right now to grow in faith. It's that particular area. For God to take you from a weak faith to a great faith has everything to do with how you're handling that test right there. Will you cast yourself on the promises right now in that area of your life? This is what faith does. It it throws itself into those promises even when you can't see it. So so friend, wherever that moment of testing is, will you do that today just again? Will you just say to God, God, I am going to trust your promises even though I can't see it. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But God, I am going to trust you right here in this area. Faith trusts God's promises. Here's the second thing we learn about faith from Abraham. Faith waits patiently. 
Faith waits patiently. So uh, the story of Abraham, his life really is a story of faith. But it might be better to say it this way, that Abraham's life is really a story of faith waiting patiently. That's really what Abraham's life is. So in Genesis 12, it's the passage you just heard read. God comes to Abraham and makes a series of promises to him. We could sum them up like this. Abraham, I'm going to give you a people. So you're going to need a son. And from that son's going to be a people. I'm going to give you a people, Abraham. I'm going to give you a place for those people. It's the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. And, and then I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Now, those are the three primary promises that God makes to Abraham. And Abraham experienced a lot of that blessing. But those other two. The people in the place, they were slow in coming. It took a long time for those to show up. Uh, Imagine for a moment a person coming to you today. Like you're walking out to your car and a person comes to you and uh, they look at you and say, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I am going to send you $100 million. It's coming. I'm sending it to you. You would freak out, wouldn't you? And then, starting tomorrow at 8 a.m., you'd be living by your mailbox. I mean, you just set up the tent right there, and you're just going li- to stay there until someone drops off that check in your mailbox. And, and you're going to be there Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. And then, Sunday, you're going to see that guy again, and the check's not there. And you're going to be like, hey, you, you said last week that you're sending me $100 million. I, I was like, I checked my mailbox a few times, and that check wasn't in there. And the guy looks at you and he's like, yeah, I I said I'm going to send you a hundred million dollars because I am going to send you a hundred million. And it's just rinse and repeat. You set the tent back up by the mailbox and you're just waiting all week, right? Now, let me ask you this question. How many weeks would you have to wait by the mailbox before you finally look at the guy and say, I know you said that, but I don't believe that anymore. It, it just, the, the check is not there. It's just not showing up. So I know you've said it, but I just, I'm not buying it. You, you have officially crossed the line where I can no longer trust you. How many weeks? Would it be two weeks? Three weeks? Four weeks? Ten weeks? Three months? Four months? Six months? It may, maybe it's 52 weeks. Maybe it's a whole, it, what is your line where you're like, I'm no longer going to trust you? Abraham waited 13 hundred weeks on God. I don't know where my line is. I just know it's not at 1,300 weeks, right? 1,300 weeks. Abraham is 75 years old in Genesis 12 when God makes him a promise of a people. 75 years old. 25 years later, 300 months, 1,300 weeks at the ripe old age of 100. The author of Hebrews uh, says this about Abraham. He was as good as dead, (laughs) right? 1,300 weeks later, the check arrives. Abraham and Sarah welcome Isaac into the world. 1,300 weeks of waiting. This is what faith does. It waits patiently. Now, let's be clear. Abraham was not a perfect waiter, right? Uh, He had some really bad moments of waiting. So if faith waits patiently for what only God can do, here is what fear does in a human life. Fear shrinks God's amazing promise. Fear shrinks that promise down to what is humanly possible. Then it manipulates and controls to accomplish it. Welcome to Genesis 16. 
right? In Genesis 16, Abraham and Sarah are like, man, we're getting old. We're getting up there. Like those baby making years, uh, they're over, right? They're in the rear view mirror. We, we are too old to have kids. And if, if I can't have a kid, if, if this check is not coming through me, I mean, we've been at the mailbox for a lot of years now. If that check is not coming through me, I'm going to find someone who can have a kid. Welcome Hagar, right? What does Sarah do? They go for a workaround, right? They, they shrink the promise down. They stopped waiting. Out of their fear, they, they pare the promise down to what is humanly possible, to, to human possibilities. And then they control, manipulate, force their way to make the promise happen. To, to accomplish the promise on their own terms. And, and here's what's so sad about Genesis 16. Not only did it bring so much strife and wreckage into Abraham and Sarah's life, even now, thousands of years later, that wreckage continues. Like just look at the Middle East right now continues today. That this one moment of shrinking the promise down and then forcing and manipulating to make it doable for them. Now, I love what God says to Abraham to start Genesis 17. So they've just done the Hagar moment, right? They've just pared the promise down. They've just wrecked everything out of fear, uh, doing all of that. And then God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17 and says this. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. This is the first time in the Bible where God's own lips are speaking about himself and he discloses an attribute about himself. And here's the first attribute he wants to announce to Abraham and the rest of the world. When you think of me, attach this word to what you think of me, Abraham. What you think of me, Christian living in Midlothian in 2023. This is the word I want you attached to me. I am God, what? Almighty. That, that is who I am. This is what I want you to see about me. I am God Almighty. And that's the truth Abraham needed to see, that, that nothing is impossible with a God like that. If, if God is God Almighty, there is no promise in your life that he is incapable or impotent uh, to fulfill for you. So you don't have to like shrink things down, then force your way to make it happen. No, you can trust a God who is God Almighty. Listen to Marcus Dodds and his commentary on Genesis talk about this. He's, he's using this from God's perspective, what he's communicating to Abraham. And he says it this way. This is God saying to Abraham, I am the almighty God, able to fulfill your highest hopes and accomplish for you the brightest ideal that ever my word set before you. I can accomplish it, he's saying. There is no need, Abraham, of paring down the promise until it squares with human probabilities. Abraham, there's no need of relinquishing one hope it has begotten. Abraham, there's no need of adopting some interpretation of my promise which will make it seem easier to fulfill. Abraham, there's no need of striving to fulfill it in any second-rate way. And then he goes on. This is God saying to Abraham, Abraham, all possibility lies in this. I am Almighty God. I just wonder how many of us need to hear the Lord say that to us. Because right now we are forcing our way into things. We are manipulating everyone and everything to get what we want in life rather than just trusting in the promises of God. How many of us just need to hear God say, hey, you don't have to pare the promise down. 
You don't have to like fulfill it in some second-rate way. You can trust me. You can rest in my promise for your life because I can do it. I, I don't actually need your help to do it. I don't need your contribution to, to fulfill this promise. I, I am God Almighty. That, that's who I am. So friend, if you are waiting on the Lord for something right now, can you just receive the promises of God in your life without feeling like now you've got to go force your way to accomplish it? Can you just hear the Lord say to you, I am God Almighty. That, that's who I am. You can trust me in this. I, I've got you. I'm going to be there for you. My, my promises in your life are invincible. Invincible. Faith waits patiently. Number three, faith opens our hands. Faith opens our hands. You see this in Genesis 13. Um, God promised Abraham a place, right? The promised land. And, uh, and here's the problem of Genesis 13. The problem is the place is too small. So you've got all of Abraham's people now, all of Lot's people now, and they're, they're doing this. The, the place is too small for all of them to coexist well. And now they're to the point of serious relational strife. But because Abraham has received the promise in faith, he no longer has to manipulate to protect the promise. So he comes to, to Lot and says, hey, Lot, um, you can have whatever piece of this land you want. If you take the left, I'll take the right. If you take the right, I'll take the left. You just make your decision and I'll take what's, what you don't choose. Can you just see how free that makes him? He's not, he's not fighting. He's not manipulating. He's not uh, coercing. He, he's trusting in the promise. Now he has open hands and he's like, Lot, you take what you want and I'll take the other. Now, what you see there in th that text, Genesis 13, is Abraham was willing to sacrifice the promised land for the sake of God. Now, that's a precursor to Genesis chapter 22, the, the huge moment in, J in Abraham's life. And in that text, Abraham tw or Genesis 22, Abraham was willing to sacrifice not just the promised land, but his promised son believing in both of these two moments with the promised land and the promised son that if God was to take either one of those that God would also raise either one of those back to life. That, that's, that's him receiving and resting in the promise and now it just opens his hands. He, this is the amazing thing that when I look at Abraham's life in these moments of his life uh, that I just noticed about him. He is a completely free man completely free. And God in Genesis 22 goes right after the heart, doesn't he? He's like, Abraham, you know what I want you to, to give me? Your long-awaited 1,300 weeks of waiting son, your only son, your beloved son, I want Isaac, Abraham. And because he was free, his hands were open, he could look back to God in that moment and say, God, because you're so precious to me, because I'm throwing all of myself on you, I trust you even with him, even with Isaac. So are, are you living with hands that are open like that? Maybe you could ask it this way. What is your hand closed around in your life? What is your hand no longer doing this to, but you have just slowly and subtly grabbed it in a way where you're communicating to God, God, this isn't negotiable anymore. This is my thing, not your thing. God, I, I'm not letting go of this. You, you cannot ask for this. 
See, faith, what it does in our life is opens our hands. Maybe for you, that's money and possessions. Maybe it is, God is calling you to be generous and to give generously. But you're like, no, no God, this stuff is mine. You know, faith opens our hands. Maybe it's that bitterness that you've been nursing, that grudge that you've been holding. Maybe it's that relationship. It's that marriage. It's that uh, friendship. Maybe it's just fear of man. Like, God, I'm so terrified of people that I just, I never open up my mouth and talk about Jesus to people. Maybe that's it. That God is like, I want you to open your hand around these things. I want to grow you in this particular area. Faith opens our hands. God, whatever God is asking of you today, can, can you just look to God in this moment and say yes to him? Whatever you have closed your hands around in faith, will you just open that up and say, God, this is yours. You, you can have it if you want it. What is your hand closed around? Faith opens our hands. And then we'll finish here. Not only does faith open our hands, it also opens our lives. Here's the end for Abraham. Genesis chapter 25. It goes like this. Verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. With that, Abraham's story is over. But when I look back over the preceding 11, 12, 13 chapters, it was an amazing run, wasn't it? I mean, the Lord gave Abraham an amazing life. It was a good life. It was a full life. God had him on this journey of faith. God brought him all the way from Ur to the promised land. All of these miracles show up in Abraham's life. 1,300 weeks of waiting, and here's Isaac. I mean, he has been the recipient of much from the Lord. God has walked him into an amazing life. And, and what made Abraham's life amazing was not the quantity of his years, but the quality of those years. Right? Abraham was not perfect. He had a lot of ups and a lot of downs, really low downs. But here is what we can say about Abraham. He stayed open to the Lord. He kept moving in faith with the Lord. He was quick to repent. He was quick to follow the Lord wherever he led him in faith. He was, he was quick to say yes to the Lord. And friends, when we live like that, by faith and not by sight, here is what it does for us. It opens up our lives so that we spend our days doing all that God has planned and designed our lives to do. And, and don't we want that? Don't we want our life to, to be and accomplish and do everything Jesus would want it to do? That only happens when we're with an open heart saying yes to him, when we're walking by faith in Jesus. There's really only two ways to live your life. Way number one, you trust you to make something of your life. Way number two, you trust God to make something of your life. Those are the only two ways. You're living in one of those two ways right now. And here's the sad thing. If you choose number one, your life will be as big as you can make it. This is why some of us, our lives are just boring to us right now. They're just dull and boring because our lives are just the size of what we can do with it. Out of fear, we've just pared everything down to this little life that we can make for ourselves. But if you go with the second option, trusting God to make something of your life, then your life will be as big as God can make it. Abraham is living proof of that. 
One of my favorite books is uh, a book called Redeeming Love. It's retelling the story of Hosea. It's a fictional retelling of, of that story in the Bible. And um, what's happening in Hosea is God is giving us a, a picture of his pursuing love through Hosea. As he tracks down and, and pursues and loves Gomer, his wife, even in her prostitution, right? The, the, Hosea, that book is in the Bible to show us this is what God's love looks like. Right? That, that's why the book's in the Bible. And that's what this uh, book, Redeeming Love, is just written to sort of retell that story in a fictional account. And my favorite scene in that book is the moment when Michael Hosea uh, wakes up Sarah, who is Gomer in the book, and he wakes her up in the middle of the night. It's like 3 a.m. Wakes her up, and he takes her on this miles-long hike. And eventually, they find themselves at the top of this huge mountain in, in their area. And they sit there in the dark. And finally... The sun peeks over the horizon and it, it lights up this beautiful central Californian valley. Lush and vibrant. Just an amazing valley. And Michael Hosea whispers in her ear, Sarah, this is the life I want to give you. A life that is this big and beautiful. A life that is this bright and full of hope. This is the life I want to give you. And friends, that is the life that by faith Abraham received from God. And friends, that is a picture of the life that we, by faith, can receive from the risen Jesus. The day is coming where what is written about Abraham is going to be written about you. He, she, they breathed their last. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to look back over my life having shrunk it down to human possibility. I want my life to be as big as what God alone can do. Amen? So, so church, let's walk by faith and not by sight. Will you bow with me? I want to give you a moment there where you are to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. Abraham's life really does take us to that question. Am I willing to walk by faith? Are you willing to do that? Will you look to the Lord right now and say, Jesus, do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to make me a man, a woman of faith. Whatever it takes, oh God. Would you just have the courage now to say that to the Lord? God, whatever it takes. And I love that we're getting to end this part of our service with communion today. Uh, because here is one of the things it takes if we're going to grow as a man or a woman of faith. It takes us staring at and gazing upon the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus that covers all of our sin, that brings us into right relationship with him, that opens up a whole new bright future for us.
And so you should have the elements that when you walked in, you should have gotten the little cup with the cracker on top. If you didn't, there's going to be some up front. There's going to be some in the back. You can get them as we sing here in just a moment. But before we take communion, I want to give you a moment to um, do that work of self-examination. Here is who communion is for. It is for those who are in relationship with Jesus. So if you haven't taken Jesus, take him now. You can just call out to the Lord right now. God, would you rescue me, save me? I am trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So if you haven't taken Jesus yet, take him before you take communion. And secondly, it's for those who are in right relationship with Jesus. So is there any area in your life that you need to turn from and repent of this morning? If so, as we sing, this is your moment to do that work. And then I'm going to come back out here in just a few minutes and we'll take communion together.